0: Let me clarify that my PhD is uh, not really on policies. I'm looking at uh, the role of schooling in general in intergenerational social mobility in rural Pakistan. And I uh, my analysis for PhD is uh, based on the longitudinal analysis uh, of data which covers almost three decades uh, period of rural households and life histories from rural community in Punjab. Um, so the, the, the basic idea of engaging with policy text was to, it started with uh, providing a context of my research, uh, but then uh, when I started reading these policy documents, the material I came across was original and the analysis of education and its uh, uh, relationship with economy and how the two economic system and education system were evolving together and how they were supporting or constraining each other Uh, that kind of analysis was not out there. So I thought maybe it's kind of useful to do somewhat empirical analysis of these policy texts. Having said that, I'm uh, a little bit intimidated with the presence of historians here. (laughs) (laughs) I try to provide some sort of chronological account of educational policies and uh, economic agendas and discourses, but not really with the historian's rigor, it's more sort of uh, sociological analysis of discourses relevant to my work. So the the basic idea of social mobility is that to to see how uh, social and economic destinations of individuals are determined by uh, their social origins, so how much your social class, your uh however defined that is in a particular context which is a challenge to operationalize in Pakistani context <coughs> determines uh your economic status and how is that mediated by education and usually education is presented as as uh, 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 seen through its transformative potential that it, it creates equal opportunities in economic and social sphere for people but access to educational opportunities is also <coughs> kind of linked to uh social regions. So uh, through these, uh, the, the analysis of uh, these policy documents, I'm trying to see um, how uh, A, to, to, to uh, contextualize my research and B, to assess the national visions of progress, social justice, equal opportunities, and social mobility. So I begin with analyzing uh, five-year plans because educational policies are in Pakistani context, they provide information quite a lot about education, uh, but they don't really provide full picture of how those policy documents are actually implemented and translated and how resources are allocated or even the idea of education is justified in economic discourses. So I relied quite heavily on five-year plans. Um, f- for this particular chapter, I analyze uh, nine five-year plans and ten education uh, uh, policies, but. Uh, obviously time is very limited here, so I present the analysis of these policy agendas from 1947 to uh, 1970. So this is the context of this research and my own research, which is kind of, I'm trying to manage your expectations here (laughs) (laughs) not a policy analyst (laughs) are of a different kind than I'm trying to engage with. (laughs) Uh, When I engage with these policy um, documents, what I really came across was that there are at least five unique contextual factors explaining Pakistani uh, education and economic system. There could be more, they could be expanded, but these five are kind of, it's hard to find the parallels. First of all, it's a new country, uh, starting in 1947. I'm starting with that history because I, I'm providing intergenerational analysis and I'm, my empirical analysis begins with 1986 so the parental generation kind of grew up in, in, in the immediately after the post partition time. So it was new country and new state and new nation being built. It was not like India where like the kind of in some ways nation and, and the state existed and it was liberated. Uh, so so these uh, factors had their own uh, pressures on education and e- economic system. And then what became Pakistan, the regions that became Pakistan, were created out of uh, the wastelands of India, like the, 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 the uh, 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 Frontier parts of India on both sides, in East Pakistan and West Pakistan, they were not necessarily, apart from like few centers, they were characterized with very low economic development, low social development, and uh, industry trade, even agriculture production was not really great. Um, and then there was 12 million population moving across the borders, but that's, that's not enough to say. There were uh, most of the uh, professional, educated, and the educators were moving outside Pakistan, and those who are moving into Pakistan were largely the peasantries. <coughs> so it had serious implication for, for both economy and uh, education. And then Pakistan had exceptionally large population. Pakistan at that time was East Pakistan and West Pakistan. East Pakistan, Bangladesh later on. Uh, So, massive population. Uh, reproducing at higher levels but acute shortage of human resources because of lack of education and skills and then soon after the independence the country became uh, heavily dependent on external aid which brought the, the ideas and ideals and ideologies of policymaking uh, situating that at the heart of the systems economic and education system to evolve and, and Harvard Advisory Group has been extremely influential in that. Uh, I don't have much time to uh, focus on that. So, so this is, this is uh, the, the, the kind of context within which these policy documents need to be read. Um, so soon after the independence, the uh, uh, educational conference was held in 1947 to deliberate on building the education system of Pakistan and uh, Jinnah, uh, the founding father of the nation, Uh, Speaking at that conference uh, stressed upon the centrality of education and national progress, modernization, economic development and nation nation building, and to meet the upcoming needs of the economic system as well as inculcate a system of values required for citizens committed to the collective ideas of progress. The conference placed a strong emphasis on the free and compulsory, compulsory primary education as a requirement for democratic and enlightened state. And it debated all other areas of education as well. Uh, and also, the new state really needed new elites. So there was heavy focus, even in, uh, at this time, with literacy rates and education being extremely low, uh, uh, that the higher education needs to be emphasized to create new elites. And kind of that, uh, that is a bias which suited the, the, the upcoming economic system and which continued until late, maybe until today. Um, So subsequent to this conference, the National Plan of Education uh, was uh, uh, (coughs) developed in 1957, which prepared a major policy roadmap um, and laid the foundation of the overall educational uh, uh, structure so, this was a time, uh, we are in 1950s, this was a time of uh, bipolar politics of uh, Cold War, uh, uh, massive uprising happening uh, in the n- newly uh, uh, liberated countries. Uh, uh, I probably need to skip this, but, 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 but these elites of many uh, post-colonial states mm-hmm. uh, got together uh, uh, asking uh, their farmer uh, colonizers, as well as uh, uh, the US and Canada and uh, Australia for support to uh, build the economic system which could keep the uh, Marxist socialist movement outside their uh, boundaries. So Colombo Plan was created as a, as a vehicle for generalizing those resources. And Pakistan became part of that in 1950, uh, which meant uh, quite a lot of uh, American military aid and economic aid. Um, and and the process of economic development started at that point and Pakistan Planning Board was established in 1953 with the overarching goal of creating plans and policies uh, which would cover virtually every aspect of economic activity and and within that uh, Harvard advisory group which consisted of academics from Chicago University, uh, Harvard University and uh, Michigan State University, Oklahoma State University and a few other places who started coming regularly with uh, uh, their visions of uh, economic system. So uh, 1955 is where the new era of economic planning begins and now I guess what I'm Presenting in this uh, particular section of my presentation is three five-year plans because they uh, there is a continuity of the main economic policy from 1955 until uh, 1970, uh, uh, and and it was a challenge that they reading both policy document educational policy documents and economic agendas created a lot of primary data, extremely rich data, which I, I wish I I, I had uh, chosen to write my PhD on these documents. It's extremely, like the th- theories which I was reading about social reproduction and uh, inequality and all that stuff, which came much later in 70s and 80s in, in the Western academia. Uh, our mm-hmm. plans were actually providing the details of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do I organize this complex mess without any sufficient training into that? What I did is that I I, I realized that I'm actually engaging with, with, with a particular nation of, uh, a particular uh, uh, nature of a state here uh, without engaging state theory. <laughs> uh, that's a slippery uh, track for me, <laughs> and, and 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 capitalistic developments here. Obviously it's not I, I even don't know if I can call this economy as capitalistic economy, uh, but, but but those developments were ho- happening within uh, under the bureaucratic and state control. So how I organize is that the uh, education sociologists and especially those who try to situate the role of state within education is they try to uh, see that there are three core, especially Roger Dale, three core problems of the capitalist state it must, for its survival, it must facilitate uh, the creation of uh, capital. Uh, and and I- in order to create that capital, it must, uh, because that, creator, uh, th- that capital creates inequalities, so it must uh, provide the uh, legitimization of those inequalities and in the economic system. That's the second function. Uh, and the third function is the distribution of it, because you cannot sustain economic order Unless you, you 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 distribute those resources, so I try to. My main focus has been on the cons, uh, on the themes and uh, notions and ideas around uh, equality of opportunity, equity, equality, uh, social justice, mobility. But then I try to organize this presentation into three of these themes. So how uh, the, the accumulation was happening, and then how that was being legitimised through uh, uh, uh various discourses and how distribution, uh, the demands for distribution actually made a comeback. So I might probably not be able to come to the third one, but let me give it a try. <laughs> so the first five year plan outrightly rejected the, the, the equality of uh, wealth and income. Uh, Towards a system of economic production that justifies inequality of health and income while maintaining uh, tight bureaucratic control over economic affairs. So, uh, so there was rejection of equality, and functional inequality was valorized on the grounds of creating incentive to unleash entrepreneurial potential in society. And the meritocracy was advanced as a system of differential reward for differentiated talents. That's where. Uh, economy and education actually come very strongly together because that's how you determine uh, uh, the meritocracy. Um, so, reading this quote from the first five year plan equality does not mean the equality of wealth or income. As long as the nature endows us with unequal talents and merits, any attempts forcibly to establish an artificial <coughs> inequality is bound to fail and produce disastrous consequences for the economy. Inequalities of income, insofar as they reflect inequalities of natural talents and of the services actual and potential to society confer a net social benefit and are desirable within reasonable limit, limits they provide the needs uh, needed incentive to effort enterprise and acquisition and improvement of skills but then the rhetoric of equal opportunities was deployed without access to mass education uh, uh, or access of mass masses to education it was then justified as opportunities, not equal opportunities, but opportunities in proper relation to talents and capability. So I quote I, I from the first plan. It means the provision of opportunities in proper relation to talents and capabilities of each member so that no one lacks a chance to rise in life and each gets an opportunity to develop the best that he has in him. It means that there should be a rational relationship between talents and opportunities, between merit and reward, and between effort and earning, so that everyone gets a reasonable good start in life that has the fullest scope of maximum development in a peaceful and harmonious society. And and universal primary education was seen as ideal, but it was too expensive (coughs) for the economy. But besides the economic resources, educational expansion was not really considered appropriate for the country at that stage. Um, Kurt? the mere expansion of the present system would not be sufficient to meet the needs of the children, the expectation of the parents and the requirements of the nation. So higher schooling was privileged, both in justificatory discourses as well as in terms of resource allocation and resources were being transferred from rural to urban and from agriculture to industrial uh, sector. Uh, within this wider context, rural inequality were uh, was discouraged uh both the inequality of land was also discovered, but inequalities in industrial uh, in industry commerce trade and finance were considered good for economy and and this was also a time of uh political turmoil Liaquat Ali khan was assassinated and at that time there was no consensus being developed over the constitution of the country so taking that opportunity military took over and uh, we entered into a whole decade of uh a uh Uh, military regime. And despite such turmoil, uh, uh, the the new government actually uh, (coughs) not just continued uh, those economic policies but also pursued them in somewhat aggressive way. And uh, so the first major policy document related to my work here is the, the report of the Commission on National Education, which was established in 1959. Uh, that furthered the merit- meritocratic agenda of the earlier plan. Uh, and an education system that was to uh, uh, kind of uh, guide people to live uh, productive public uh, and full personal lives according to their talent and interests. So the Commission saw the role of education system as to provide leadership training to those identified as the talented ones, stratifying pupils by separating the leaders from the vocational workforce so it says the system must be such that the gifted individuals have full <coughs> opportunity to develop their skills. It must give scope for the training of a leadership group, and that, and at the same time, provide the development of all uh, the vocational abilities needed for the creation of progressive and democratic society. So, primary schools were uh, not really accessible to everyone. Uh, literacy rates at this time were uh, less than 20 percent. I don't have exact figure. Uh, at the moment, but but it was like the access was so low, and yet, whatever, whosoever was able to access it, the system was being presented as as like kind of selecting, uh, giving opportunity for people to rise in the uh, social ladder, and then, uh, greatest amount of resources were actually being focused in the first plan, and 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 the, the this commission on education also uh, uh, recommended on higher education than primary education. And intense, com- intense competition was a key to success given the extremely narrow uh, window of opportunities. So identification of the poor quality of schooling overall, uh, but the focus, I mean, the, 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 there's another interesting element uh, that the, 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 the policy documents and plans for aware that the overall education system was extremely poor. And they are talking about it. And they, they, obviously there was resource constraint and all sorts of pressures, but but the, the, the discourse is like, what we need to worry about at this stage is to select these talented people, these future leaders, and put them not into those poor schools, uh, says that it, it would be the height of the folly to select carefully our most promising young people provide for the expense of their education and then enroll them in the inferior schools. Poor schools do not nurture talent, they destroy it. And that's what those who were not really talented, identified as future leader, that's what they were getting. Uh, and then we come to 1960, there is second plan in making, uh, made and uh, there was massive emphasis on higher education for leadership and the competitive war, and for the competitive war. And uh, an important feature of Pakistan's development policy at this stage was the continuity of the previous principles uh, that of providing market-oriented economy and selective provision of schooling. The second plan, presented by Ayub Khan's military government, reiterated the same commitment to talented students, again emphasizing the need for creating opportunities for those who had exceptional talent, uh, but this time there was some recognition that this talent can also be in poor families without really providing any solution on how to reach them. So, so high, um, there, was, there was quite a lot of uh, industrial progress made in the, in, during the second uh, plan and there was financial and commercial sector were also developing, uh, but also there was concentration of wealth in few hands, in few regions uh east pakistan and blochistan and lots of other regions were really deprived and these capitalistic developments gave rise to started giving rise to mass movement uh, protesting about these inequalities between classes and region trade union labor movement and student union uh, resisted the emerging facet of the capitalist economy and introducing third five-year plan in 1965 president ayub explained the key thrust of the economic policy under the notion of Islamic socialism. So that was very important notion to to counter the the socialist and Marxist movements here. But what did it mean was that it was more meritocratic, uh, differentially rewarding people with different talents and aptitudes, while emphasizing the equality of opportunity to develop this natural talent. Uh, So schooling was quite central. So so you described in the preamble of that uh, third plan that there are three cornerstones of this policy for ensuring equal opportunities to which we are committed. First, it is the intention of the government to provide universal free primary education to all. Second, it is our aim to ensure a system of merit scholarship at the secondary school level. Third, we intend to provide competitive entry to jobs at all level. These objectives are already embodied in the constitution, um, etc. So so like within nothing really changed within within like Islamic socialism. The the, the plan pretty much pursued the same agenda Uh, it it contributed to more economic growth at the same time uh, increasing regional disparities and discontent. The focus was also within education on higher education instead of militating against quantitative expansion uh, which can actually (coughs) serve to uh, 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 encourage it. Uh, Social mobility first time entered into economic discourse and that was also in relation to uh, 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 creating scholarships, offering scholarship for students within the given education system, not really altering the rules of the game there. Two minutes. Okay, okay, well that's uh, sorry. I, uh, now, now like they, they, they. Uh, maybe I'll take two more minutes. <laughs> so, so engaging with uh, uh, the uh, identities and subjectivities were very important to legitimize the system and also turn the. A population into productive labor force. So, one of the important social functions assigned to education in Pakistan was to induce a social change that could, in ways, integrate the economic needs of the industrial capital into largely underdeveloped in rural economy, as well as address the political need of the incredibly diverse country. So, the country was created such that borders were drawn arbitrarily, uh, enforced migration, and all that. So, there was an immense task lying ahead of political leadership for creating a nation out of fragmented histories and diverse cultures, languages, tradition, and economic uh, and social systems. So education was meant to provide social (laughs) cohesion, to create social order, and and it was important to change the attitudes and identities of people. The new economic uh, system required a drastic shift in the attitude and behavior of workers and schooling was considered to provide that corresponding mechanism where schools were meant to correspond to the economy. Uh, I just want to uh, quickly uh, read few um, of the codes. So, so so, the Commission on National Education had massive emphasis on changing identity, identities and aptitude, said that we have undertaken the task of nation building at a point in history when the development of a sound and progressive economic order traditionally demanded a large number of technically trained people working under imaginative forceful leadership, I guess I, I'm repeating it, but like, so, so so, these identities needed to be changed and, uh, so, so just one quote, uh, we did not realize that the attitude and habits of the hundred years cannot be altered by the scratch of a pen on the document of state, neither did we Comprehend. So, so the plan was criticizing population. <coughs> Neither did we comprehend fully that the progress uh, and patriotism reflect to a larger degree basic attitude and values. After the first great start that launched the nation, the magic was gone. Slowly and old attitudes, uh, the old attitude had been absorbed into the bloodstream of the nation during uh, past century uh, Returned to plague our national life and uh, impede our progress. One by one, we witnessed the reappearance of the old uh, attitude of passivity, indiscipline, opportunism, and regionalism. And, and this plan, uh, uh, the report goes on uh, recommending the precise ways in which education contents and curricula and the forms of provision can be ordered so that people can respect authority, they can be less skeptical, uh, they can be less uh, communalist and regionalist in their approach, and they can become a uh, hardy labor force i guess I I, I I should conclude here uh, they, they they as a result of these inequalities then there were massive demands for uh, uh, distribution and education and in and the, in the, from the uh, next plan, written in 1970 on for onwards, was asking for distribution and education was mean for redistribution of the economic growth uh, through the forms of provision, scholarship, and uh, the, the discourses turned counter hegemonic during this time, and they were talking about inequalities as a result of the uh, previous plans.